Hello, listeners. My name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. In Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we are currently doing a Bible study on Genesis with our volunteers. It's been going on for a very long time. Last week, we began to study the life of Joseph. I felt sorry for Joseph as I studied about his very eventful life. I felt so sad thinking about how hard his life must have been when he was sold by his own brothers at the age of 17. Joseph spent his early childhood being the most loved son of his father. That was the reason why he was hated by his brothers and sold to Egypt as a slave. Even though Joseph was a slave, he was looked unfavorably by Potiphar and lived a stable life until Potiphar's wife created a problem for Joseph, which sent him to jail. She tried to tempt Joseph, but when the temptation did not go her way, she turned it around on Joseph and said that he tried to rape her. When Potiphar's wife was pressuring Joseph, he said, How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph was strong in his faith and feared God enough even to fleeing from her and leaving his cloak. I could only think about what an amazing and strong person Joseph was when I read all this. However, even Joseph, who had a great faith toward God, showed a moment of weakness where he relied on man instead of leaning on God. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been not for
near and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings are mine with ten thousand on Even though Joseph was sold into slavery, he worked very hard and did not give into the temptations of Potiphar's wife proclaiming that he could not sin in front of God. When Joseph was unfairly put into jail, Joseph, who had been so faithful to God, showed a moment of weakness when he relies on the power of man. This happened when he interpreted a dream of the chief cupbearer who was also in jail. Joseph interpreted the cupbearer's dream and told the chief cupbearer to remember him when all the things he interpreted came true. He told the cupbearer to mention good things about him to Pharaoh so that he could be freed from that place. That way, Pharaoh would learn that he did not commit the crime that put him in jail and that he was treated unfairly. Four days later, the chief cupbearer was restored to his position just as Joseph had told him. But verse 23 of Genesis chapter 40 tells us, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Joseph placed his last hope on the chief cupbearer, believing that this man would help him. But the chief cupbearer forgot all about Joseph as soon as he was freed from jail and restored to his position. And Joseph continued his life in jail without knowing when he would get out. When you look at chapter 41 of Genesis, it begins in verse 1 by saying, Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. So the Bible tells us that it took two full years before Joseph would stand in front of Pharaoh from the time he interpreted the chief cupbearer's dream. My heart fell as I read those words. Full two years. Joseph already went through so much pain, but now another full two years? I thought to myself, why? It would have been nice if he would have been freed from jail, but another two years? Why did God allow Joseph to suffer for another two years? And I thought about what Joseph thought and realized during those two years. Joseph probably waited daily for the chief cupbearer, believing that he would speak to Pharaoh and that he would be free from jail. But that hope probably turned into disappointment. Joseph probably spent his days disappointed, regretting that he ever believed the chief cupbearer, 
realizing that the only one that he could believe in and lean on was God. Don't you think Joseph spent those two years having full faith in God again?
Coming up next is sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is King Messiah, Part 2, based on John chapter 19, verses 11 through 42. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. The Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation so that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, God forbid that the Sabbath be broken. For that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. See, with the nails in their hands and feet and their arms dislocated, the only way that they could breathe was to push up on the nail that's piercing their feet and push up and gasp for a breath and then sag back down and hang on the, the nails that were most likely through the wrists, right through the nerve that goes to the median nerve that goes right through the wrists, causing excruciating, just unbelievable pain all the time. And of course, even more pain when you're pushing up on that nail. And so if their legs were broken, they couldn't push up and they would die of, as, of asphyxiation within minutes. And so they went to break all the two thieves' legs and the soldiers therefore when they came and they broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him but coming to Jesus when they saw that he was already dead they did not break his legs of course the scripture says in verse 36 these things came to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled not a bone of him shall be broken verse 34 it says one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately there came out blood and water. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may also believe. John says, I witness this with my own eyes. I saw it. This is true. The healing stream, the living water, the blood and the cleansing water, they came from his side. And verse 37, again, another scripture says, they shall look upon him whom they pierced. Now, repeatedly in this passage, we're reading how he is called the king, the king, the king. I think it's very significant that the Holy Spirit has emphasized that. I've never seen it before until this last a uh, time when I've been studying this scripture and I've been thinking about it for about half a year. The king, the king, the king, the king of the Jews. When Jesus came to the earth, he fulfilled the prophecies in his birth, of course, who his parents would be, the city of Bethlehem, born, you know, we know that there are many prophecies the Lord fulfilled. And then that Daniel the prophet had predicted that the Messiah would be presented to Israel on an exact day and, and Daniel gave a precise date and he said 173,880 days after the, a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will come and so he says there are going to be 173,880 days and then Messiah the Prince is going to be revealed to Israel Messiah the Prince the King and Zechariah the prophet said he'll come lowly, mounted on a donkey. And that's because kings who came peacefully to a city rode on donkeys. Kings who came to war rode on white horses. And so the first time the Lord came to Jerusalem, he came peacefully. On the very day that Daniel the prophet predicted the Messiah would come to Israel, on that very date, and we know that as Palm Sunday, and that was also the very time when all the sheep would be driven into the city of Jerusalem because they had to be in Jerusalem for a set amount of time, for several days, until they were to be offered as Passover lambs. And so there were literally thousands, tens of thousands of lambs being driven into the city. And they were all going into this, through the sheep gates. And this is the way Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And that's why they had to throw down things before him to clear the way, to clean the way, because all these sheep are going too. And so he, he comes in, and they're hailing, hailing him as the king of David, the son of David. He's the king, right? And then he comes into Jerusalem. He's in and out of Jerusalem during this time. He's coming to be the king. 
Now, there's more to this. This is so cool. When I see in verse uh, 19, and Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross and is written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews, I have to take pause here. I've got to share with you something that I found. It's so cool. And I believe it's my, one of my uh, Jewish friends shared this with me over a year ago, and I, I found this stuff written on a napkin that he shared with me, and I, then I thought, man, I have, this is phenomenal. I've been studying it. I just want to share it with you, share with you a little bit of what I found. But uh, Pilate, Pilate didn't like the Jews, and the Jews didn't like Pilate, and they had this little battle going on, and as you read the accounts here of, of the passion of Christ and, and the trial of Jesus, you see this, this positioning going on, and, and and trying to, to use each other and throw jabs at each other. And one of the jabs, uh, big time jabs, that Pilate is, is sending is that uh, I'm going to write on this inscription in every language that is a major language of the empire that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He wrote it in Latin. He wrote it in Hebrew. He read, wrote it in uh, Greek as well. Now, this is what I want to share with you. They didn't know what they were doing. They're just kind of spiting each other, aren't they? But God's Spirit is guiding this whole thing. This is phenomenal. There are three Rosh Hashanahs in the Jewish calendar. The first is Rosh Hashanah. That's the Feast of Trumpets in the fall, near the, the, uh, which is the head of the year, the Jewish New Year. We know it as the Feast of Trumpets. And actually, prophetically, it it's signifies the rapture of the church. That's one of the Rosh Hashanahs, the heads of the year. And then there's another Rosh Hashanah, and, and that is the Rosh Hashanah for trees. In the law, it says that there are to be trees planted in Israel. And so there's a celebration of trees. In fact, the, Moses said, when you go into the land of Israel, you're not to eat the, the fruit of any tree for three years. And then you're to plant trees every year. And so there was a Rosh Hashanah for trees. And then thirdly, it didn't happen often, but there was a Rosh Hashanah ahead of the year for kings. And when we look carefully at the scriptures, and we're not going to look it up tonight, it's a little technical, but in 1 Kings 6, 1, repeated in 2 Chronicles 3, 2 as well, we find out that the day of the coronation of the kings of Israel was this Rosh Hashanah. There was a time when kings would always be crowned in Israel. Always on this date. Solomon began his reign a month after he had been crowned. All right? And so we know the month he was crowned. You go back to the month. Uh, we know that the second month of his reign. You go back the month previous. And it is Nisan. And it happens to be the day of Passover, the day before the Passover when Jesus is crucified, just on that eve, this was actually the day when the kings of Israel were to be crowned. You see, you can't be a king unless there's the official crowning, right? You have to have a coronation for a king. Did the Roman soldiers know what they were doing when they wove the crown of thorns? They had no idea. Just like the people of Israel had no idea that their king was coming in to Jerusalem on the very day Daniel the prophet predicted. They didn't understand when they put royal robes on Jesus after he was beaten, crowned him with the crown of thorns, that they were doing it on the very day when the law prescribed the kings of Israel were to be crowned. Yeah. Do you think it was by chance? You see, this is the king. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of the Jews. Do you think Pilate understood what he was writing? No. He had no understanding of what he was writing. But the Jews didn't like it, but Pilate was getting at them. And they were so offended when they saw the inscription. I'm going to show you what the inscription looked like. 
This is what it looks like. Just gives it in the Hebrew on the top. You'll see it in the Latin, the second line. And the third line is in Greek. And so this is what was written, the inscription on top of the cross. The Jews said, take it down, take it down. Don't say he's the king of the Jews, just that he called himself the king of the... Change that inscription. Why? Well, some of us have looked at that, and we see it. Go ahead, next slide. Hebrew, Latin, Greek. What bothered the Jews most likely was the Hebrew, because they saw these initials. Y-H-U-H... Look at what they saw. Next one. Yeshua. Next one. Hanotsri of Nazareth. Umelech, king. Ha-Yudim of the Jews. They saw written on their first letters the name of God. Take that off. Change that. Say he said it. Change it. But here... I don't know that he did it on purpose, but I think they noticed it. Here's the one crowned, robed, presented to Israel. Here's your king. Here's your king. We have no king but Caesar. And yet Pilate writes, king of the Jews, and at the same time, the king is the Lord God Almighty. That's the sacred name of God, the I am that I... This is amazing, isn't it? All by chance? No. This is the Lord. It's the Lord's doing. And it's amazing in our sight. Now, look at John 3.16. I know you don't have to, but please look at it. I just want you to look at some things. We're meditating on our Lord and, and seeing the cross, which we, we've seen so much and we've heard so much, and we're seeing new things, aren't we? It's like, wow, Lord. Wow, Lord, you are my king. You are my God. You've been crowned king. And someday he's coming back, not with this thorny crown, which hurts. I picked it off the cross this evening to bring it over here, and I poked myself. And I bled just a little bit, and it hurts. One time, somebody made this for us. I thought, what did this feel like? And I just barely set it on my head. And, ow! I'm thinking, he bore this pain. He was crowned king for me, but he's coming back. And he's crowned with many crowns. He's crowned with glory and honor and one of the things that I thought was very significant is when he comes back, he's coming with a robe dipped in blood. Could it be that that robe dipped in blood is the same robe that the Roman soldiers threw on him and became bloody because he wore it? And he's just coming back with enough of that so that when those, Revelation 11, 1 says that those who pierced him will see him in his glorious appearing. They're going to be raised from the dead to see him. And I just wonder if that robe dipped in blood isn't a little reminder of, you crucified me. You put this robe on me and mocked me. You had no idea. No idea who I am. And he comes back on the white horse this time. He comes back to set up his kingdom forever. John 3.16 Read with me For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life I think of God so loved the world the world and, and a lot of us think of yeah, that's, that's my five mile route to work or my 20 mile round trip drive or that's my front yard and backyard or, or that's I fly across the country or you see the globe or you see the internet God so loved the world God loved 
the world? Angels must think God so loved the world? Now, where is that? Where is that? Now, some of you may have seen this, but I want to put this into perspective. Look at this. God so loved the world. Here is earth in relation to Venus and Mars and Mercury and poor Pluto, who isn't anybody anymore, right? (laughs) I don't know why Pluto's there anymore. But you see the earth. I mean, we're thinking, yeah, whoa, the earth. Well, let's go out a little farther. Here's the earth now, okay, in relation to... There's Pluto. (laughs) Trying. But here's the earth in relation to Saturn and Jupiter. Look at that. I mean, the earth is like suddenly, whoa, we're not as big as we thought we were, right? And then, look on. Here's the sun and here's the earth. You can just see the the line pointing to the earth, right? It's this little dot. The sun in comparison to the earth. No, for God so loved Saturn. No, for God so loved Jupiter. Wait, for God so loved the earth, the world. Now let's go out a little farther. There's our sun. You see that little little P? Red P right there? That's our sun. The next largest sun is Sirius. And then we have Pollux and then Arcturus. Look at now where our sun right now. Earth, Jupiter would be one pixel on this scale. Our Earth is invisible on this scale. For God so love the world that he gave his only... But, but it's bigger than this. Let's step back even further. Okay, here we have Arcturus, the big one, right there. And Sirius and our sun. Our sun is invisible at this point compared to Betelgeuse in Antares. For God so love the... I mean, it's like... No, we are not in the universe, this big thing. It'd be like, for God so loved. Or, there's, here's some. They keep my pulpit really clean. But there's dust on my hand. God so loved, not even a piece of dust, but it would be a fragment of a piece of dust. What is this all about? Why would the one who created this amazing universe, why would he love the world? It's because he loves you. Can you imagine how much you are loved? That the creator of the universe would come and would say, well, I created you and I'm very concerned about life in this incredibly small scale I love you so much I can't let you die in your sins but I want to I want to die for you I'll take your place in order that you might be with me and we leave beyond all of this he says you might live with me forever we are particles of dust living on a planet that's like a speck of dust in the universe and yet God says you will reign with me Lord, we begin to, to just fathom a little bit of our nothingness and yet your value of us and we are in amazement. In fact, let's stand right now. Just stand in amazement. Lord, we stand in amazement. And we stand before you, our King. Lord, we don't see you as a King who is mocked and crowned with thorns and given an old purple robe. 
and a reed in your hand. We acknowledge you, Lord, as King of kings and Lord of lords, worthy of glory and honor and majesty and praise forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Lord, that you would give significance to us as you have. We are so unworthy. And Lord, if there was room, we'd fall on our faces before you in worship and adoration for what you've done. We stand before you, King Jesus. We love you. We thank you for first loving us. Please receive our worship and the love it expresses tonight. In your worthy name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. Following is a program on the Sermon on the Mount. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian Winston with the Sermon on the Mount. During our last episode, we studied Jesus' words about ask, seek, and knock. Christians should not depend on their own strength and knowledge, but depend on God alone. This is why Jesus teaches us to ask, and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, and knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. These are the words described in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Our Heavenly Father will give only good to people that look to and depend on Him. God tells us to treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law of the prophets. Because we receive good from our Heavenly Father, we should in return treat others as God treats us, with much love and grace. Today, we will be learning about Jesus' words, Enter Through the Narrow Gate, from the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In verse 13, Jesus tells us, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The reason why the gate that leads to life is small and narrow is because you can only go through the gate through Jesus alone. In the book of Acts, we're told, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus also tells us, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Jesus alone is the gate that leads to salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Another reason why the gate that leads to life is small is because the road that follows Jesus makes you deny yourself and carry the burden of your cross. To deny yourself is to forfeit your self-centered life where you glorify yourself and to live your life with Jesus as the center and live through Jesus and his teachings. To live according to Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount and to live according to Jesus' words is the way to enter through the narrow gate. There are not many people that enter through the narrow gate because many find it hard to follow the words of Jesus and live according to his words. In this life, we will be faced with many tribulations and hardships. Acts 14.22 and 2 Timothy 3.12 says, 
To enter the kingdom of heaven, we are faced with many tribulations and will be faced with persecution. Yes, we are faced with many tribulations. But Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. As it says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. You will also be faced with tribulations and hardships going through the narrow gate, but will be met with everlasting life. No matter how many people decide to take the wide gate, Jesus tells us to take the narrow gate because the wide gate leads to our fall and our death. After he tells us all this, Jesus tells us in verse 15 to be aware of false prophets. There were prophets during both the Old and New Testament times and even today. There will be even more false prophets as the end comes near to steer people away from Jesus. False prophets come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. How do we know them if they come in sheep's clothing? Jesus tells us that we will know them by their fruits. Just like how we know what kind of tree it is, we know by what kind of fruit it bears. We know that it is a grapevine by the grapes it carries and a fig tree by the fig leaves that grow. So a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. We should cut down and throw every branch that does not bear good fruit. False prophets plunder the name of Jesus and they will be known by the fruits they produce. They will be met with judgment. They will be met with judgment and fall in the end. Jesus says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Just because you call Jesus Lord, Lord, does not mean that you will enter heaven. You must live according to God and do the will of God to enter heaven. This does not mean you earn your salvation just by doing it. We enter into salvation receiving the gift of God. But our salvation through the grace of God and the fruit we bear indicates we live our lives according to the words of Jesus. Just as an apple tree bears fruit and grapevines bear grapes, when we become new through salvation by the grace of God, we will produce a similar fruit to Jesus Christ. Many will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Just because they say, Lord, Lord, or use Jesus' name to cast out demons, does not mean that you will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us that you must do the will of God to enter heaven. One who does the will of God and takes the narrow gate will enter heaven. This is why Jesus tells us to take the narrow gate. I hope that we all will take the narrow gate and live according to Jesus' words. Today, we study Jesus' words in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 to 23. Next time, we will be studying the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you for listening, and we hope to see you next time. God bless.
Think about it. We are all weak at times. The longer it takes for God to answer our prayers, the harder it becomes for us to live our lives. But let's try to think of it from God's point of view. What if God allowed Joseph to spend the extra two years in jail after he asked the chief cupbearer to show him grace by releasing him from jail just so that Joseph would use that time to turn his faith fully to God again. God was waiting to use Joseph to rule over Egypt under Pharaoh and to see that his brothers would lead to the establishment of the land of Israel. I think that for these reasons, God waited another two years to free Joseph. If you think about it this way, you can say that the one that waited was not Joseph, but God. We all think that we are the ones waiting for God's answers. And sometimes we don't do well while waiting for God to answer us in His time. Some of us suffer through that time. But if I think about it, I think God is really the one waiting for us. If God is not answering you today, then don't you think that maybe He is waiting for you? Maybe we need to take a look at our wrong habits, thoughts, or loving something more than God. We need to throw away anything in our lives that comes before God. He is waiting for us to solely have faith in Him, just like Joseph. Are any of you at a point where God is being silent towards you? Why are you going through this hard time, and how long will this go on? Are any of you exhausted from all the waiting? But all of us know very well. There is always a reason why God allows 
us to spend that time waiting so that we will do His work at the end. Even though it seems confusing now and you don't understand why you are going through all this, at the end, God will fulfill His will through all of us. This ends our Unity in Christ program today. I hope to see all of you again next week. Have a wonderful week and God bless. Stuck here in my field Give me the strength to trust you When my vision's blurred by tears Give me your hope for tomorrow Cause today has gone so wrong I'm on my knees Give me the faith to believe Even when I can't see you You're still shining You're still shining Even when I can't hear you You're still calling out my name And even when I cannot feel you Your arms are open Always holding on to me Still shining, even when I can't.